I did. I was a really nerdy kid. So I was always carrying around my stack of books. Um, and I would like perform monologues from the books. I was also a drama club kid. So I was writing and I was also playing. Um, I was obsessed with Judy Bloom in elementary school. And so I was always bringing my fudge books to read aloud from. Um, and then as I got older, I got more into literary fiction and was just reading a lot of classic literature, but also newer contemporary stuff. Um, I think when I discovered Ralph Ellison is when I really, really, really understood. Invisible Man? Yeah, it was Invisible Man. How, but also how old were you when you read that? Because I was a little older when I read that book. I was older too. I think I was maybe 19 when okay. I read that book. Um, but I felt like it illuminated for me my whole life experience up to that point and um, made me understand how much playfulness can go into writing, even as the critiques the text makes are scathing and relevant. Like you can have a lot of fun with your, with your characters as well. Yeah. And especially for anyone who hasn't read that book specifically, I mean, there's some whacked out scene. I mean, some insane scenes in that book, no spoiler alerts, but yeah, if you, I mean, if you haven't read that book by now and you're watching this podcast, I think you're probably doing it wrong. Um, so were you writing in 19? Were you doing any kind of fiction whatsoever? I mean, eventually, you know, I mean, you, you know, your life now is writing. I mean, how early did it start? I started as a kid. I used to um, try to make comic book series. Um, I had one that was so, so cheesy. It was called butt man and it was a cigarette who would fly around like rescuing people from the toxins of cigarettes. And so it, it used the sixties Batman theme song, like butt man. Um, <laughs> and it was terrible, but yes, I was writing. Yeah. Um, I think since I was at least four, cause I was an early reader, I was reading since like three. So I'd been doodling. I did my, um, my, trip around with poetry, which I think every writer kind of has to do before they find out what, what they really are. Interesting. Um, we'll, we'll kind of stop you there real quick. Um, yeah. It's interesting you say that. I mean, just through the podcast, you know, I came to writing later on, you know, I, I started, I'm 33. I started writing when I was 30. Um, but through the podcast, you know, you're meeting, I'm meeting authors who come through it through so many different avenues, but you are correct in the sense that a lot of them, poetry was the first thing. It seemed to be it maybe the most grasp at that age i don't know okay yeah you're shaking your head um you, yeah poetry feels accessible in a way that i don't think is actually true I, um i think especially if you grow up learning older sort of classic canonical poetry you end up with a lot of things that have a rhyme scheme but contemporary poetry often doesn't rhyme and so i was writing really bad poetry about like butterflies and you know typical things and i'm not a poet i figured that out pretty quickly um by grad school is when I got really serious about writing. So I was supposed to be writing a dissertation and I wanted to write fiction. And I started um, fighting with myself about whether I should even finish my PhD program or if I should like quit and become a writer. And I realized I was already at the dissertation stage. I might as well actually just finish it and then try to write full, full time after that. But it didn't work out. So I had to keep teaching for a while. Um, and as I was doing that, I learned a lot. I joined a workshop with other Black women who really were encouraging. And then I started going to workshops like Ten House and Callaloo and Sewanee. And that's when I started to feel like a writer, I think, is when I started to build a community. Was that your first time ever sharing your work with other people? 
I always shared it with my mom, who's also, both of my parents are artists themselves. My mom has like seven books out, but they're academic. Okay. Um, and my dad hey, won a reader's, there's still books, yeah. yeah. Um, but my dad won like a reader's digest short story contest when oh, I wow. was a So I shared my work with my parents because they're, they're good critics, very good critics to the yeah. point that it, it, I stopped sharing it with them. Well, I mean, w- was the criticism you didn't want to hear? For my mom, yes, generally. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we don't write well together. And it's the same with my husband. We don't really write well together either. Even though is, he a writer, a is he a writer also? He is, uh-huh. academic. Um, but we just, we can't exchange work until it gets to a certain point. I think it's just because it feels so personal. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm new to the, to the writing world. So when I first published my novella in February, um, before I didn't share it with anybody. And I was so insecure about just my skill as a writer. I had no community. I was so new to it. Um, it's interesting because some people we talked to have had that community felt like it was almost detrimental at times. Like you said, like the criticism, maybe it wasn't what they wanted to hear, or maybe it was criticism that they were just like, well, this is bullshit. I don't need that criticism. Um, When you got later into these other workshops, what was the vibe like then? I mean, was it very, you know, for people who have never, who want to go to these workshops who have never been in one, what was it like for you? Well, Tin House is amazing. Um, they're always committed, I think, to growing and changing. And the leader, Lance Cleland, is um, really dedicated to making it an intersectional um, demographic and building workshops where people are going to be nice to each other and get along. I think he kind of screens for personality, not just for the good writing, which is important because I've had some terrible workshops too. Um None of the sort of named ones, but I did do an MFA program and I, I hated all of the workshopping in that program because it didn't always feel like it was accurate. It didn't feel like it was culturally sensitive. And yeah, there were just some mean people in it too. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, if you're with these people all the friggin' time, it's, I'm sure, you know, it's like, it's like coworkers. Mm-hmm. You're not going to like all your coworkers, but if you're stuck with them, you got to work with them. Um, it's interesting. Okay, interesting. So, I mean, but were you happy with the outcome of those workshops when you were finished with them? At the end, were you happy that you did them? Um, I was happy for the time and space to play and to get to read craft books because I had never thought about like, oh, writing is a discipline. It's not just a talent you have. Like, you have to actually study this field Mm -hmm. the same way you would. You don't pick up a guitar and just know how to play chords generally. Like, you have to study and keep practicing and putting your fingers in the same place and getting calluses. And I think that the workshop gives you a lot of calluses and prepares you for the real world where you're going to get rejections. You know, I was um, querying a young adult novel for a year after I finished my MFA and I got like a hundred no's on it or non-responses. And sometimes the response would just be not for me. That's it. You know, so I think that a, a hard workshop and even one where people are unkind can kind of give you those calluses you need to deal with criticism later on. You're saying a lot of words that I like. You're saying discipline, you know, talking about routine, you're saying calluses. For people who don't know, that's when your fingers get torn up from playing guitar too much, right? Um, were you always a person that had discipline in your life early on, or was that something you kind of had to develop as you got older? A lot of the, a lot of writers I talk to have no discipline. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, both. I love rules and I'm like a regimented person and my parents for, they were both teachers before they kind of progressed in their field and then they got into tech, but, um, they would make me do like exercises out of Warner's English grammar as punishment. Or if I hit my sister or screamed at her or told her she was a punk or something like it's go and do all of this grammar stuff. So that I think forced a kind of discipline on me that I, I appreciate to this day. So when I'm teaching, I tend to write Monday, Wednesday, Friday, very dedicated to those days. And then when I'll, I'll usually teach Tuesday, Thursday and so I at least try to write three days a week for a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. And those three days a week, I mean, uh, let me get even further. I mean, are you writing at a specific time on those three? I mean, are you that disciplined? I'm a whack job. I will write the same time every day. Yeah, you're, yeah, same kind of thing. Um, no. Okay. <laughs> I'm not like a five o'clock in the morning. That's with me. The bird. I have to do it. Yeah, I have to yeah. write with my coffee. No, mm-hmm. I... I write to Judge Judy and... (laughs) My mother knows her. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. My mother's an old Jewish lady from the Bronx. Uh, So is Judge Judy. And uh, my mother... you know, yeah, through her, her first marriage, you know, uh, yeah, she used to go to cocktail parties with her all the time. <laughs> oh, I would love to hear those stories. Oh, my mother's got plenty of them. Trust me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you might get sued, um, but I, yeah, I think that the discipline is really important and that you need flexibility within it. So I read this book called "Writing Your Dissertation in Fifteen Minutes a Day," and I still use this book to teach craft and to teach discipline. It's kind of outdated at this point, but the principle is that doing low stakes writing every day for just at least a few minutes trains your brain to not be so anxious about when you have a deadline and when when the writing actually does have stakes. And so you learn how to produce a lot in 15 minutes. You can write like five pages by hand. It's like working Uh, out. Yeah, it is like Mm -hmm. working out. So Mm -hmm. You know, you're building those muscles and you're less anxious about adding on more weight as you go through. Like I'm doing right now. Um, Yeah. So has that, okay. So um, we're, so you're there, you're in these workshops, um, you you know, you're in the MFA MFA program. Are these stories that would become that first collection for you? Are they percolating that far back? The character Fatima was, um, I originally thought I would write a novel about her and I brought some of that to the workshop and it didn't go over well. That was Uh, not the young adult novel. No, it was a different Uh one. The young adult novel came to me at the end of the workshop. Okay. Uh, But in between that, I wrote a middle grade novel and part of a sequel for that and kind of decided that that, no, that wasn't quite the right project, but they were the same character over and over, just at different ages. And I realized that I was trying to tell these stories about this character named Fatima. And so she as a character is sort of the oldest thing in the collection. But most of those stories I wrote after I finished. I was querying that YA novel and one of the agents said to me, yeah, I love it. I think you should revise and resubmit by changing the age of one of the characters and when I was supposed to be doing those revisions, I got bored and I started writing short stories and I, I finished heads in like two months, three months. It was like a November to February kind of thing um, where I drafted it and thank God it worked out. So um, I think, you know, um, to name drop, we had Mateo Ascarapor on the podcast and mm-hmm. um, he was saying the same thing. He, I, I don't know if it was what will become Black Buck, I forget now, or it might have been 
what he was working before. But he said he, the agents were telling him it was like it was a young adult novel, and he was like, no, 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 no. He's like, no, this is, and he was really pushing for it to kind because of, he said they were saying based off the characters. Um, so with that said, I mean these stories, you have this idea. What what was the delineation? What was the really the defining moment to? break it up from long form to short stories. Had you ever written short stories before this collection? Um, in workshop, I had, yeah, I had it's, it's a different beast. Stories. Yeah. But the collection has absolutely nothing to do with the novel. They're two completely different stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. Characters overlap. Um, I'm saying the actual format of writing. Oh, form. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can finish a short story. <laughs> That's the <laughs> thing that I felt good about was that I could draft something maybe percolated for, five days in my head, but I could actually type it out and have a draft of it within a week. And you can't really do that with a novel unless you're magic. Um, so I like that at least a short story has an endpoint. Whereas with a novel, I feel like I could be unsure about this or that and work on it forever. Um, once you have a good story and you know kind of what's going to anchor the collection, it's pretty easy to shape the other stories around it or put them in conversation with it. And that's what happened. I got the titular story. It won a prize, built up my confidence. And from there, I kind of wrote toward that story. Yeah, it seems to be with the, the short story collections and the authors we talked to, some of them have written a bunch of stories. They would submit it and then the people would be like, well, okay, these are just 10 stories. There's nothing you know, holding them together. So you had that in the beginning and you felt confident enough to kind of build the orbit around that? I did. Um, I learned from my husband's research, which is on 19th century Black writers, a lot about James McKean Smith and Francis Ellen Watkins Harper, who are people I mentioned in the collection. And I thought I wanted to update their original sketches. There's actually a, another book called The Heads of the Colored People by James McKean Smith that was serialized and then finally put together as a full book. And I thought I was going to write a one-to-one -one kind of response to his stories. And once I knew that, kind of device or constraint. I was like, oh, I can do this. Um, it ended up being too restrictive because I don't want to have to respond to every single story that he's written. Um, so instead I thought about it thematically, like heads is in psychology or heads is in leadership, heads is in people literally falling on their head in the case of Fatima. Um, so that's where I think the kind of through line came for me. And I think it's important for writers to figure out what their through line is or else, like you said, you just have 10 stories, but they're not a book. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, were you working on multiple stories at a time or just one at a time? Multiple in some ways. I like to put things away for a while after I've drafted them because I tend to write, write pretty quickly once I start writing. The first draft? Uh, first draft, yeah. yeah. I like to let the first draft sit kind of in a drawer. I don't, I'm not printing them out, but like, you know let it percolate longer and then work on something else at the same time. But I like to let my subconscious tell me things about that draft in time. Cause I find if you put space between drafts, your brain is still thinking about those characters, whether you feel like you're thinking about them or not and developing maybe subplots or subtext that you didn't realize yet. And it'll help you go back in and revise much more easily. Are you the kind of person who, when those ideas pop in your head, I mean, are you, do you use your phone? I mean, do you do voice memos? You do notes and stuff like that and you're, you can go back to it? Siri, take a note every day. Uh -huh. all day. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. um, and I get a lot of writing done when I'm 
trying to sleep, unfortunately, it, it just starts flowing. And so all night in bed, I'm like dictating stuff to myself and then getting frustrated when she gets it wrong. And I'm like, now I have to go back in and revise this when I just wanted to put down my you idea. Do more editing, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so you had the stories, um, when you had the full collection, what was the plan then? I mean, were you actively pursuing a publisher? Um, where were you, were you working at that? Were you teaching at that time also? I was, I was teaching the whole time. Um, I, yeah, I was very strategic about going to AWP, which is one of our biggest conferences in fiction. What does um, that acronym stand for? Literature in general. It's the, um, ooh. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. Writers and Poets. Okay, okay. AWP, yeah. Or maybe it's Association of Writing Programs. Uh, I don't remember. Um, Figure it out. Yeah. It's it's the known conference, but it it's huge. Usually there are like 12,000 people there and it's really hard to figure out what panels to go to because the schedule is huge. So I searched the panels in the website for anything with agent in the name. And um, I strategically only went to panels that had agents at them. And I sat near the front row so that as soon as everybody tried to accost them afterwards, I could have like an easy spot to pop into And so I met several agents there and I told them I had this collection and they were like, oh, send it. Absolutely send it. Um, And I also saw a friend there, an old friend who said he would put me in touch with his agent if I wanted. And it's through a referral that I got that agent, um, Anna Stein. And we revised the collection for a few months and then we went on submission and it was a really, thank God, easy submission. Was that revision process a healthy process for you? Yeah, it was. I think her feedback was very useful. Um, and it was a, such a short time. Revision does make me anxious. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I go on forever. Yeah. Um, and with some of her clients, she's made them revise for a very long time because she has very high standards. Um, so I was scared that it would take like years, but it was, it was just basically a summer. Um, I think we went on submission in August. I think I got her feedback in maybe May. Um, um, what year is this? This was 2017. Uh-huh. 2016 or 2017. And um, how long would it take until the book came out? Well, it came out in 2018, which is why I think this was probably 2016 that we yeah. went on submission. Um, and that, when I keep saying on submission, I mean sending to strategic editors who we think the book might jive with. Um and that was a quick process. I think it, it sold in like six days or seven days. Mm-hmm. Were you happy with that first time process of publication? I mean, did you learn things through that, working with a major publisher, having a big book out in the world like that? Oh, yes. I mean, it was a dream come true. Short story collections, everyone tells you, are so hard to sell. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. We talked yeah. to Kimberly King Parsons, and she um, had, yeah, yeah. So she, I mean, she talked for 30 minutes about it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. You hear all the time, like, nobody's reading them. They don't sell. You won't earn out. Yeah. Um, you're not going to get a big advance, all of these things. And that someone even told me when I was getting mentored um, right before, when I really knew I wanted to be a writer in grad school, and he said, nobody really wants your short story collection. They're just buying it to get to your novel. And I think that perception is still pretty true sometimes, but Anna Stein is a person who likes short story collections and prioritizes them and works with a lot of writers who have smaller artful books. And that's truly her passion is to, to do those kinds of books. So 
Um, I think if you're a writer querying agents, especially with short stories, you have to pick the ones who actually rep people with short story collections, but also um, be really careful in how you talk to them about, about why you pick them. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, you know, again, I'm not, from, you know, I never take a, I never took a creative writing class in my life. I toured in bands for 15 years and I learned how to write through reading three hours a day, every day of my life. Um, but with that, when I was querying my novella, I did the opposite of that. I just did blanket emails. I'm like, if anyone even fucking looks at this thing, I will be over the moon. And I got 73 rejections. Um, but yeah, so it's there's ways to do it. And like you said, that's probably the smart way to go about it. Um, especially with a short story collection, you have to be, you know, people aren't, not everyone wants to deal with that. It's a different thing. Like you said, same with novellas. Um Definitely yeah. novellas. Um, so that being said, you have the short story out. Do you want to go long form? Do I mean, do you want to be the author that gets the short story collection just so they can get to your novel? Um, no, <laughs> I I do want to write long form, and I have plan. I've drafted a couple versions of a novel. Um, actually, two novels I'm kind of working on simultaneously, yeah. and also a memoir. And I'm working on a new short story collection. And basically, I have OCD. And one way that people describe it is pathological indecision. And that's kind of what I have. I'm just like, I don't know which project is the right one right now. So I'm, I'm just going to play with all of them. Until I'm the same way. Yeah. On something. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I call it the Danielle Steele way. You know who Danielle Steele is? She yeah. writes, if you, read, if you read about her, she's writing seven books at a time. And she's always, and she's able to like, but she knows exactly where she's at and she has a routine. She's like, I, I edit this book at four. I do this at six. You know, she also owns the biggest house in San Francisco. So I guess she can do that. Um. <laughs> and your book's in the grocery store next to the gum. I think crazy, these right? What a, what a crazy sales. Yeah. What a, I mean, I mean, my, my father calls it airplane reading, you know, the things that you could pick up, you know, but there's a market for that. Right. I mean, Stephen King sold 800 billion books because people like his books. Um, you know, there's markets for everything. Um, so is that what's in the future these projects? We don't really know what's going to happen from you. It's indecisive. Yeah. I don't want to make any promises because yeah. I don't know if I can deliver on them yeah, right no, now. It's all good. Yeah, no, for um, sure. But you're also I, teaching right now as well. Right. I am. I'm on leave um, due to chronic illness, which is another thing I've branched into writing about. I write a lot uh -huh. of essays now, nonfiction essays, which is not a form I thought I would ever get into. Was that so, hard to get into, writing nonfiction? It's been easy in the, the pieces I've written, I really, really wanted to write and was passionate about and they flowed. Um, I don't know how much of it I want to do. I know I don't like writing book reviews. I don't like writing certain kinds of nonfiction. But I think the essay, being a person who studied literature professionally in a PhD program, I think suits me well for trying to write essays. Mm -hmm. um, and so far, it hasn't been like a torturous process. <laughs> well, I hope this hasn't been too torturous. Nafisa, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Um, I always ask two questions at the end of this. First off, where are people buying your books? Uh, what's your favorite bookstore? Who do you like to rep? Um, McNally Jackson, Mahogany Books, um, Greenlight, Brooklyn. Those are all great bookstores. Books are magic. Um, those are all, I would say, my favorites. And people who own them are really sweet.
Yeah, no, most definitely. We're well aware of their existence on the podcast for sure. Um, and uh, do you do Twitter, Instagram? Can people get in touch with you? Are you into it? I am. I'm a bad tweeter, um, but I am on there just as my name, Nafisa Thompson Spires. Um, finally, blue checkmark verified. Which there I- it is. Boom. How long did that take? Was that was that was that more thrilling than getting the book published? It was almost equally thrilling, I have to say. I don't know how to get Instagram verified. I feel like I've heard you have to pay $500 to some secret society to get that done, but um, we'll see. But yes, I'm on everything. Um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and I make a lot of weird, quirky like music videos. So, you play, uh, uh, Do you play music? I am a dilettante. I played clarinet as a kid. I tinkled with piano. Um, and the guitar. I've taken classes and lessons, but I'm not good at any of them. Okay. Well, there's plenty of time to get good at things, so no worries. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. I will talk to you. Yeah, no, most definitely. We'll see you later.